imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty, starving to eat Palms are sweaty, heart starting to beat About to get beheaded cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA by giving us vaccines These elite Satanists are the psychoists They preparing our bodies to accept the microchip Can you imagine walking into a Wells Fargo Not being able to withdraw money because you ain't got a barcode your right hand or your forehead if you don't take the mark of the beast you're gonna fall to the floor dead head cut off bodies squirming our own government acting like nazi germans they want us to live in fear filled with uncertainty one world government under one currency i can categorically say that this is end times this virus is breaking us down just like an enzyme there's pedophiles leaving men and women childrenless these politicians are dummies and the devil's a ventriloquist Stemming from Epstein's Island Gavin Newsom ain't your governor He's a tyrant He took away everything That makes us happy and vibrant And put a mask on us To keep us silent Can you imagine sitting in the park in the heat Stomach empty Starving to eat Palms are sweaty Heart starting to beat About to get beheaded Cause you didn't take the mark of the beast Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens He's trying to alter our DNA By giving us vaccines These elite Satanists Are the psychoists to accept the microchip. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Josh and Jason Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast Show. I am your host, Josh Monday. If you don't know me, I'm a Christian rapper, devoted husband, father, and army veteran. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host. He's a Christian, devoted husband, and father. What's up, Jason? How's it going, brother? What's up, man? And we just smashed on uh on Upland last week with our kids. Took out took on Saturday a very good game, man. So I'm I'm pretty happy. Awesome. <laughs> my son sort of touched down. Oh, yeah. All right, man. He caught awesome. out of the backfielder, man, for like 20 yards, dude. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Jason's Jason's a coach right now, and uh it's awesome. I'm seeing fun. pictures on Instagram of Jason with his son and it just yeah. melts my heart, man, to see that it's amazing. Yeah, he's only nine, but we're trying to make him into a man already. <laughs> <Early>. <laughs> so, all right, guys, we have an awesome, amazing show for you guys today. It's going to be a Revelation Roundtable, End Times, and we have some amazing, amazing guests, okay? All of them should be on Mount Crushmore, okay? So we have, first of all, we have um, the author of Genesis 6 Conspiracy. He's been on our show four times. You guys already know him. He needs no introduction, but he is also Mount Crushmore for sure. Gary Wayne, how's it going, Gary? Doing very well, and thank you for inviting uh, me back to your show and uh, also to join such a prestigious and awesome set of hosts it's, and uh, guests. It's, uh, it's going to be fun tonight. This is like the skull and bones of the of the secret societies here. <laughs> the prestigious Yale. No, I'm just kidding. No. All right, guys, here we go. So we have uh, also, second up, we have the host of Bible Mysteries, and he is also working on a book right now, future author of The World That Was, Scott Mitchell. How's it going, brother? Great to see you again, Josh. Thanks for having me. Great to see you, Jason. Yeah, uh, yes. good, good, good to meet you, man. I'm glad to... I'm glad to meet you and uh Brian, always a pleasure to meet you. Always a pleasure to see you too. So yeah, I'm pretty well, excited, bro. I, I'm like, I'm like to see my face. It's like a tingling like, oh, happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man crushes on all you guys. Dude. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
<laughs> so, and third up, okay, guys, we have the author of uh, Judgment of the Nephilim, which is going to be right here. So if you guys ever look it up on Amazon. And then we also have his second book, The Final Nephilim, Ryan Peterson. He's he's also Mount Crushmore, and Scott Mitchell is going to be Mount Crushmore as well, too. So what's up, Ryan? How's it going? Doing great. Uh, uh, everything's going really well, Josh, Jason. Thanks for having me back on. Gary, great to see you. Scott, great to see you. Uh, I, I, I'm just as excited as you are. Trust me, this is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, I uh, wanted to make sure I connect Ryan with uh, Gary, and I also want to thank you, Ryan, for connecting me with Scott. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I really appreciate it, seriously. And I wanted to connect Ryan and, and Gary together because I'd like to see Gary on your Thursday Theology show. You guys should check that out on YouTube and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> all right. So guys, so I want to, we want to get into some end time stuff and I think this is a perfect cast to get into it. Okay, guys, we have, I had a round table, uh, you know, just a, a while back, like uh, last month. And I just, I want to try to do this once in a while, just get these all-star uh, uh, cast together and, and have them go over stuff. So um, because uh, people like myself, I mean, I try to do my best to understand uh, revelation or end times and, 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 you know, I, I try to do my best, but I think these guys have done some awesome, amazing research and they're veterans in this game. And, and me and Jason are just getting our feet wet, I believe. So um, I we like to go over some. Um, first of all, uh, I like to say um, the Revelation, you know, the author of Revelation. OK, I believe personally um, some people would say like St. John, I believe, you know, John is the author. He did scribe it, but I believe that Jesus Christ is the author of this book. OK, guys, so. Uh, we'd like to give all glory to God, obviously. Uh, John, uh, he also says it in Revelation uh, 1, 9 through 11. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So basically, I think what he's saying there is he's a brother in Christ like like we are. OK, and he's he's describing this book, you know, and, and thank you for him doing that. But we need to give all glory to God for this. OK, so um, first of all, guys, what is the, the you know, the next event that you guys believe is going to happen you know in the end times i mean I, I i like to do like a whole timeline but what do you guys believe is the next event to happen for the church or for 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 us or for the world we'll say that any Who of you guys you can start with? uh well i could i'll start with uh well we'll start with you scott since you spoke up go ahead what, what do you want to do the <laughs> well, next I, event I just stepped right into that <laughs> didn't i <laughs> You know, the world events are, are clearly to me pointing to the end times. So I think we're already starting. Uh, and if you want to talk about um, the just current events and things like that. But I, I guess in my mind of, of the timeline, one thing that needs to take place is rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And I don't know if that has to happen before the rapture, after the rapture, for those that teach the rapture. Um, and and it, it certainly it could happen miraculously rather than through conventional means. But I, I see that as a key point, uh, the okay. reinitiation of sacrifices, because that for me would begin the prophetic timetable of Daniel's 70th week. Okay. Perfect. Um, and Gary, uh, would, and Ryan, would you guys, would you guys have anything to add to that? What do you guys believe? Either one. Uh, Ryan, go ahead. You could go first. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree uh, with Scott. I think definitely the, I, I definitely believe there will be a third temple and that it is basically 
kind of a time marker of the 70th week, right? That that prophecy of Daniel chapter nine, is, to me, it's all about temples. It's really, it's really explaining the second temple and the third temple to come in the great tribulation that I think will be set up really for the worship of antichrist for the abomination of desolation. So yeah, I think that has to happen. And also, you know, um, you know, I, I, am a pre-tribulation rapture believer. I'm pre-millennial. However, I take a little bit of a different position on the timeline because I believe that the first uh, five seals of Revelation chapter six have already been opened. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that, where we see wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, pandemic, all those things, uh, I believe that those are the birth pangs Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24. And the fifth seal in particular is focused on the persecution of the saints. And I believe that's something that we see happening. We don't see it in America we talk about martyrs, but we know that in restricted nations, we're talking about North Korea, Eritrea. There are numerous nations right now. We have brothers and sisters who are in prison, who are killed for their faith, tortured, um, even though we don't experience it here yet. So I think that as that increases, that will, I think, from a timeline standpoint, have to ramp up to reach a point where God says that, you know, as God tells those martyrs under the altar, wait just a little while longer. And then he is going to unleash his indignation and initiate, I believe, the the great tribulation of the sixth seal. Mm. So you believe that? Okay, so the first seal, guys, would be like uh, the the white horse, right? The second would be the red horse. Um, the third would be the black horse. Uh, fourth would be a pale white horse, right? So, um, right. so you believe that the first five are done, right? So, uh, so that'd be the the four horsemen, right? Based on the apocalypse, and then the fifth seal is souls crying from the altar. So you believe that that, that one has already happened as well. Yeah. And well, then, cause that, uh, that's, if you look at the fifth seal, that's the one seal that's linked to time. Yeah. The, the martyrs ask God, how much longer, how much longer until you avenge us? So they're asking God, when are you going to finally judge the earth? So it's all time-based and God tells them until the number of your fellow servants is fulfilled. So I read that as God saying that God has a number. I believe God is always God always has a threshold, right? Like a Gentile, us, like a like a like there's 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 a like a Gentile that a number of Gentiles that have to be saved before Jesus comes back as well. Could could that be as well? Or I actually believe it's a number of Christians who have to be killed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what he's saying yeah. is that the number of being fulfilled is the number of martyrs. Martyrs, I agree. There's a last. There's a number that God has, and God's saying it's almost like when God told. Abraham about the Amalekites that in the fourth generation he'll judge them that God knows he has thresholds Sodom and Gomorrah their sins were crying out to heaven that God had to come down once their sins got so high that God so that I believe also that God's telling those martyrs once the number I have of of martyrs is reached in the church then I will initiate the judgment mm. well awesome. I have a question uh <clears throat> can, can I well let, let me have Gary do that real quick Jason before you ask that question well, i won't be quick so. Oh. <laughs> so if he's got a quick question let him in but my question might take a while I don't, I don't yeah know. let's but, let's uh what well, just have gary go over that first so we could see where they're yeah. at you know and yeah. uh go ahead gary well yeah a lot a lot of good stuff covered there i would say from my perspective and it's going to be a little bit different in a few areas i think but uh, that's the fun of eschatology is is exchanging ideas and trying to get things a little bit closer to to what sort of makes sense and so i definitely think we're in the fig tree generation and i definitely think that we're in the beginning of sorrows 
I don't believe we're quite yet at the seal openings yet because the beginning of sorrows are the four catastrophes that are uh, that are listed i think everybody knows that but for the audience it's earthquakes it's wars and rumors of wars it's pestilence and it's famine and they get stronger as those birth pangs unfold and will get stronger so i think we're seeing those birth pangs today we have some pestilence we're starting to see some of the wars and the rumors of wars as we see a jockeying of position for the world government or the 10 king empires that are setting up. We're seeing that with the Ukraine war. We see that with Xi trying to get his empire going. We're going to see more of that. So as we move forward, as you get into the book of Revelations and the seals, you get a 25% destruction rate, kill rate of everything. And we're not we're not there yet. We haven't seen that. I think we're in, and those are the same catastrophes, by the way, that are in the sorrows, just as it's the same catastrophes in the Trumps that are 33%. And then in the bowls of wrath, that would be 100% if Jesus didn't step in beforehand. So having said that, then what would be the next event, which was the question that was being posed. And I would say that to have the sacrifice to begin on an extremity, an overspreading or a wing of the temple, depending on which translation that you're looking at, you're going to need something extraordinary to happen. So that's essential for the start of the last seven years. But I think you have to have world government. And I think you have to have, and world government is in the 10 king empire show up. And I think you need a religion that's universal, that's not Muslim, because Muslims under any conditions aren't going to permit the people of Judah to do their sacrifice on the temple. But this is going to be on a wing of the temple by the sounds of it. So it could be an extension that's closer to the edge of the valley in, in between the two mountains there where Josephus actually locates the temple. So there might be a wing that's put on, but you need that universal religion. And we need to see that happen sooner. And so we're going to see an increase in tribulation as we go through this. So just as Revelation 2, 8 to 10 talks about 10 days of tribulation, we're going to see that tribulation wrap up. If that's the same prophetic allegory as the week of years, then those are 10 years of tribulation. And if you look at that word affliction that happens in Matthew 24, verse 8, I think it is, you have the word affliction there. That goes back to the Greek word Philippies. And it's the same word that's used for tribulation, both in Revelation, later in the second half uh, of the oration by Jesus. And then it flips around between Mark and Matthew, where Mark will call affliction the great tribulation. And Matthew will call it the tribulation or the great tribulation. They all go back to that Greek word Philippies. And so you have a tribulation that's going to happen before the last seven years. If we add or subtract, uh, if we take 10 years and subtract seven, you get three years. So three years before, I think you'll have a tribulation that is happening between the time of the opening of the seals to the time of the first fruits that are ful fulfilled, which are the martyrs, which matches up in Revelation 7 as the completion of that. And so 
we're just sort of getting into that is what I'm saying. We're starting to see those things shape up on the horizon. And so I have a little bit different approach in terms of how I come about my perspective on things, but I do put everything around what Jesus said because he is, his testimony is the spirit of prophecy mm -hmm. and yeah. he's the word of God. So yeah. that's where I like to start. Speaking Amen. of prophecy, they say 250,000 words of the Bible. There's 750,000 words, I guess, some, somewhere around there. Don't, don't quote me, but 250,000 of them are prophecy, guys. So this is important. So I think the book of Revelation is something that might get neglected a lot by some <laughs> people and pastors because they're scared, maybe scared to teach it. They want to teach the grace doctrine. But I think this is super important for people to understand. So, okay, so. All right. So after, okay. So when do you guys believe like the rapture would happen in that time? Oh, Jason, I'm sorry, Jason, you had a question. I don't want to. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, my, my question was, is everyone's talking about Jesus and, and what he's talking about. I, I, mine is about the churches. So there's seven churches mentioned. I want to, my question was anyone who wants to answer it is why those seven churches at that time, because there was numerous churches talked about, and there was numerous churches that were, that were actually at that time, but he picked those seven specific ones and gave them promises and, and, and warnings. And he also gave, you know, some of them, some of them were, were, were bad and some of them were, and some of them were good. And then some of them, you know, thought they were doing well, but, and some of them were doing that well. But I, my question is why those seven churches, if anybody wants to can answer that, if anybody could give a, you know, insight on that. You know, what interesting thing about those seven churches is historically they're all located in what we would call Western Turkey today, but it was Asia, uh, Asia Minor at the time. And um, I always found it interesting that that was one of the regions that Paul, the apostle, was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to at first. He later on established a church at Ephesus, which was one of those seven, you know, uh, and and there was another one, too. And he mentioned the Laodiceans. But um, um, I do sort of uh, ascribe um, those churches to the ages of the church. Uh, I do think there's some validity to that. I don't know if I'm a hard, fast stickler to that. And I would say that the last church was Laodicea and that we're probably in the Laodicean age. When Christ said that you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I, I think the church goes out with a whimper, not a bang. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I think we just stop being what God needs us to be. And he's got his 144,000 ready to step in to do the job that Israel is going to need done during the time of Jacob's trouble. Mm, interesting. And Ryan, I think you yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I agree with Scott's interpretation. And again, when you think about Revelation, um, you know, you mentioned Josh that that Jesus Christ, of course, is the author. Mm -hmm. It's also the only book that's written outside of time, right? John wow. is brought in the Spirit into heaven, so he is outside of time. And Jesus tells him, "I'm going to show you what has been, what is, and what shall come." So I believe so much of Revelation deals with time and different eras of time so i think even with the seven churches it's speaking of the church through time mm. and each church representing a different age and i do believe also with that the final age is the laodicean age uh that we are in you know that that we're in and and um and the you know the the, the interesting thing about the rebuke of that church is that it's not so much a church that's a rebellious church 
it's a church that's just that's diluted right yeah. think that they're rich they think they got it all figured out we're doing awesome we're doing great work for god but he <laughs> says no you're wretched you're naked and right. so uh so and i think that we see a lot of that uh kind of empty religion today um in society that, unfortunately that could be uh we'll let gary answer next but that could be because like heathenized christianity right well or just watered down Christianity. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, well, he, that's what I would, I would, I was yeah, gonna say. So, he, but when you heathenize Christianity, you really go for the idol worship. You're going for o- other stuff, and and then you kind of you're making God an energy or something that's that. Well, that's you, the new age. That's you. You make him work for you, and you know, you know, you make him something that's like, hey, I wish. I, can you please, please give me this, give me that, give me that, and you're like, and you like keep sinning, and it doesn't matter. But now the church, I believe, uh, I believe. Maybe the, you know, because a lot of people are, they're, they're, the churches are not, sometimes I believe, I'm not going to talk about that about churches, but I, maybe sometimes we're not teaching the meat so much, you know, and and I think a lot of the the people are believing like, hey, uh, maybe they're just thinking the rapture's next and they're just depending on that. So maybe they're not, they're, they're just thinking it's all about grace, but they're, they're forgetting about, you know, uh, that James said that faith without works is dead, right? So uh, this is just interesting. I think that uh, when, when you're talking about, Go ahead, go ahead. I was speaking of inquisitions, like like back in the day when you'd force people to to follow your religion, you start to get you start to get a heathenized Christianity. You're just making them force them, and they're 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 taking their paganism and bringing it into the Christianity. And I'm saying like that's that's what I mean. You get like a, you get a mix of that, yeah. You get like a watered down on the wine of everything. And I, yeah, I do agree. That's just, it's the same thing. But I'm just and I, I was talking about like I was trying to get into that involved in that. But yeah, the timeline. I I agree with that. The timeline through through the churches. I just feel also that the the qualities of these the, everything that's mentioned by Jesus that explains these churches, I feel like a quality is in each one of our religions, or religions that are today. Like there's a quality, like a really each that's, that's spoken to. There's a quality of in each religion, or each or each church. You know, whatever, yeah, each church that's following. So okay, um, and Gary, do you have anything to add to that about oh, yeah. the seven churches? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> He's, I'm waiting. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's going to be similar to what's been said, but I would put it in um, in this sort of way that it is all three in my in my perspective, including what Jason added at the end. So, what we do know in John's vision is is that he uh, that Jesus is sending or having John send these letters to the seven churches that were at that time. So they were physical churches, and those would have been by the text the traits of the churches at that time and they're instructing them to be better churches is is sort of the idea but it's also prophetic right this is a prophecy and so i agree with that those are the are the church ages and i believe we're in the latician church probably now and that church is being well prepared to be uh, totally converted over to the universal polytheist religion of babylon that's going to be coming and I would also agree with what Jason said is, is that those churches are all traits of churches that are out there today. So I think it is um, a prophecy that sort of makes sense. It's almost like a triple. It's a dual prophecy on top of an existing um, set of circumstances that are being used that's going to be meaningful all through the age of the church. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's all of that and that. Uh, this is indeed a church that is looking more and more polytheist all of the time, um, and that it is going to be a branch of 
that ancient religion that was reestablished at Babel after the flood. What church nowadays do you think that it's that it, that would it would compare to? What would you compare that one of those churches nowadays that you you would think of that's that's around right now? Well, I think it's the old polytheist religion of Gnosticism. I think it's the Enochian mysticism from before the flood that paraded uh, with the, the Nephilim, the antediluvian world into destruction. I think that's the same religion that crosses the flood and is first uh, restarted in a significant way with humanity uh, at Babel under an antichrist archetypical type figure for the post-diluvian world who forces it on the relig religion, the religion on everybody there or suffer death um if they don't and i think that that is why we get babylon which is rooted in the hebrew word babel um to give us that allegory for that mystical uh religion that is you know uh, filled with knowledge as a gnostic cults gnosis it has degrees initiations and the whole language of babylon in revelation 17 is aspiring a polytheist mystical religion that was part of the hierarchical structure of the beast empires all the way through history awesome yeah and, and in that verse as well what's important is also um jesus christ is, is talking to john and he says i am the alpha omega the first and the last you know the the beginning and the end so i think it's it's just it's showing you that that jesus christ is god right so it's like i think it's very important also in that verse that um before they you know it it's, it's just amazing that part right there. It just, it just stood out to me. So, all right. So we went over the seven churches with Jason. I'm glad you brought up. That's important. Um, so next, uh, now I believe that the, the, the third temple almost got built. I think when Trump was in presidency, I believe that um, uh, Jared Kushner was over there trying to actually, I, I thought the third temple was going to come sooner than later. You know, I think they were trying to work out a deal. So it kind of get, got interesting, but um, so after that, um, after that happens, do you guys believe that the rapture would be next after the third temple or when, where do you guys place the rapture, like pre mid or, or post? Um, I would ask, uh, uh, Gary, you could go first if you like. Yeah, I'm uh, mid to, to shortly thereafter. Okay. And, and everybody's going to use scripture to come by their position, but that's where I would fit it. I would look at it as the tribulations, and there are, are several tri couple tribulations we need to be aware of, the one that was possibly three years before the last seven. I think you have the tribulation that is going to happen of the saints that happens uh, between uh, uh, Jesus' oration in terms of the the, of the uh, beginning of sorrows to the middle of the seven-year marker that he marks with the abomination and that word as i said affliction goes back to Philippians' tribulation and those are the ones that are being martyred that are going to show up in revelation 7 the ones that in revelation 6 are being told to wait for and these are this is part of the whole setup for the resurrection sequence where you have christ the first fruits and then when Jesus comes, those who are still alive and those who are asleep in Jesus. So the ones who are asleep died in faith, but not the martyrs, because Revelation 7 are the saints that died like the martyrs in Revelation 6. And we see the first fruits, the last of the first fruits. And by implication, the 144,000 that show up in Revelation 7 are called first fruits. And by implication, they're in heaven. 
We're not told they were slain, but their first fruits, which is that implication for the resurrection sequence. And then we get after that, you get a summary of the last three and a half years in Revelation 14, where you get um, the mark of the beast and then the fall of Babylon. And then you have Antichrist setting up his new religion for the, for the last three and a half years. So I would look at that rapture coming at, as Jesus predicts it in the second half after the abomination with his sign. And I know a lot of people view what Jesus said as being more topical than chronological. And, uh, and it's a persuasive argument. But if you take the word then back to Greek, it's the Greek word totes. And it means at that time and when then. And so he's very clearly laying out his language as it's being scribed down into Greek um, from probably Hebrew or Aramaic or both that he might have been speaking at that time, he's clearly delineating a chronology set of events. And so I take my guidance from all of that. And I know a lot of people will say, well, also the Holy Spirit um, will have to be uh, removed. Well, the Holy Spirit is still testifying for those people going through that tribulation in the first three and a half years as the book of Mark's uh description of jesus or accounting of jesus words are told and then again in the book of of luke so it's talking about the holy spirit giving the knowledge for those saints to testify and that's after the beginning of the sorrows but before the abomination mm. and ryan uh what do you what do you think so um so yeah, so picking up what Gary said about Matthew 24, right, that Jesus is describing things in chronological order. I definitely agree with that. And in fact, when you get to Revelation, from Revelation 5 to chapter 22, every chapter begins with the word and, right? So it's, again, I believe Revelation is also in sequence, right? And so looking at the description in Matthew 24 of the events, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes is following, it's tracking right with the first four seals, Right. And then Jesus said, then they shall turn you over to be killed, the martyrdom. Right. So it's going in the exact order of the seals. And what I see again, because I see the rapture at the sixth seal, Jesus highlights several things uh, uh, an earthquake, the sun turning dark, um, uh, the moon not giving its light. Right. And you see those things at the sixth seal, the, 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 the uh, you have the blood moon. The moon turns to, to blood. The sun turns black as sackcloth. And then you have this massive global earthquake. And this is when all the kings, the mighty people, the chief people, everyone knows on earth, non-believers know. They say, hide us from the wrath of him, him that sitteth on the throne, the face of, the face of him that sitteth on the throne, the lamb, for the day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. So everybody knows God is now intervening uh, to in world affairs. He's real. He's here. He is judging. I believe that is the start. And of course, that coincides with Joel 2.31 prophesies the exact thing. The sun shall turn dark. The moon shall turn to blood. Yeah, that's Lord, I have right? a question. On and so and I think that's the term, the, the common Old Testament term for the Great Tribulation is the day of the Lord. It's used 24 times in the Old Testament. So I believe that is when uh, the rapture takes place. Uh, and I believe that's the start of, you know, the day of the Lord slash great tribulation, whatever term you want to give it at the same time. And again, that's the end of chapter six. And then as you get to chapter seven, what do you see? You see, of course, the ceiling of the 144,000. And then you have this multitude 
of all you know races, tribes, ethnicities, colors appearing before the throne, standing before the throne of God. And I believe that's actually the raptured church. It says these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes. And so I believe that is actually the raptured church in heaven. And that's the end of chapter seven. And then when you get to chapter eight, I think this is where you start seeing how the events play out again on earth in the great tribulation. Because you have, now we've gone from this from the, the, the seals to the trumpets and you have this mighty angel standing with at the altar with a censer. And I believe this is Jesus, right? This is what the, he's in the role of the high priest. That's, a, that's the, it's basically repeating what the high priest did on earth, Aaron, with a censer before the altar, and cast these, you know, stones, coals, burning coals to earth. And uh, and I believe that actually is coinciding with uh, the war of God Magog. And so in, in so I, I believe when you look at God, Magog, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39, that you're just getting two battles are being described in reverse order. I believe that Ezekiel 38 is actually describing the post-millennial final strike by Satan that we see in Revelation chapter 20, when it says that he surrounds the holy city and God sends fire from heaven, it says he gathers from all four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. I believe that's after the at the end of the millennial reign of Christ that final attack. But chapter thirty nine, I believe, is describing an attack at the start of the great tribulation. And when you look at the judgment, it's it, the judgment of Gog and Magog's army. It, they are destroyed by fire and brimstone mingled with blood, which is exactly what you see in Revelation chapter eight. And so I believe that's where uh, this kind of how the timeline goes. And I believe out of that war we see the the emergence of the antichrist and i wouldn't even and i i even think you know and this is more conjecture that the antichrist might even claim victory the victory as his victory over this coalition that's trying to attract attack israel and he will step in to present himself as israel's savior and then initiate the deception of israel to make himself obviously present himself as their false messiah so that's kind of how i see uh the events picking up that's that's when he makes that piece. Okay, so all right, and Scott, go ahead. Yeah, I'm I'm very much in line with Ryan on just about everything he said, and he's much more <laughs> learned about that than I am. But I I take one bit of a difference from a lot of preachers that I know over the years that I've been preaching, and that is um, I see Christ's earthly ministry as focused to Israel. He was offering a national salvation program, which was rejected by the nation. And so uh, it was a mystery that he would die for the sins of all mankind, but he was there offering the kingdom of heaven as at hand. So they rejected that kingdom and it went into sort of a mystery form. Hence, he started speaking in parables, you know, and then once he was crucified and, and raised again, um, it's almost like he said in the parable of the fig tree, let's dig it and dung it about for this year also. And if it bears fruit, well, if not, cut it down. Well, it it got cut down. That was the last attempt to call the nation to repentance. From that point forward to me at the end, at really, I think it would be timed with the death of Stephen, the martyr. Uh, that's when they were cut off and the fulfillment of Hosea took place. You're not my people. And uh, in Hosea chapter five says, I'll go return to my place, verse 15, until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. And so I would argue that this age we live in now, 
call it what you want, dispensation of grace, whatever, has been focused on all mankind, not the nation. And so um, when you come back around to whenever Gog and Magog, that's another thing I should have mentioned earlier. What's the next thing that needs to happen? Well, <clears throat> that's got to be factored into that mix too, right? Uh, that battle that Ryan spoke of. So to me, when the book of Revelation begins with John being carried up in the spirit to the third heaven, <clears throat> he writes what he sees in heaven there, and he he lists the four beasts, the 24 elders, the, the father on the throne, uh, and then he sees the lamb. And then at some point in Genesis, uh, Revelation, rather, chapter 7, his attention is focused back on the earth as the 144,000 are being sealed. And because it even says to the four angels on the four corners of the earth, don't hurt the earth until we've sealed them. Yeah. And then when he directs his attention back, it's that mixed multitude that Ryan mentioned of all of kindred nations. And that's the that's the the church. That's I believe they got raptured out while he was counting the hundred forty four thousand or something. And they went up and he's like, what are you? Where'd you guys come from? He didn't even know one of the says, who are these? And he says, you know, I don't know. And so sure enough, he tells him they came through great tribulation. And I don't think he means they went through the time of Jacob's trouble. The church has been in tribulation since 2000 years now. You know, it's it's been in tribulation and it hasn't stopped. Uh, depending on where you are in the world. So I would argue a pre-tribulation rapture uh, uh, somewhere to the point before the wrath begins to fall and before the revealing of the man of sin, just like Brian was talking about. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, so uh, a, a couple things on that is <clears throat> I would say that uh, we want to be careful with like taking some of the signs like in the seals and saying it's, it's that timing when we're talking about things like uh, the, the skies darkening and people confusing the time of the day of the Lord because it looks like it is because you've got 25% destruction because you get those earthquakes and everything happening, uh, scars, uh, skies darkening in the uh, trumpet judgments and also in the wrath wolves. So again, they're, they're just getting stronger as you go if you follow one of the overarching signs that Jesus provided with, with the uh with the uh beginning of sorrows i would look at joel 2 as lining up with the uh, revelation 9 war because they're talking about the same kinds of beings and after the abyss has been opened and just before the midpoint of the last seven years which would be that counterfeit armageddon that antichrist is going to need to have to come to power on I look at Ezekiel 38 and 39 as both. In Ezekiel 38, it's in the last days, not in the millennial, although some people can make a good argument that that's for the, the millennium as the last days that it extends, not the Ketz word as used in Daniel 9.26 to describe the end time. At the time of the end, Ketz is the time of the end. That is the seven years. I get the distinction on those arguments, but I think the end time, as we understand it with the all of the terms in the Old Testament, happen in the last seven years in different events and both halves of those years. I think in Ezekiel 38, when you get the same description of the same war and the aftermath of the destruction, you get second exodus happening. And that's a second half event. So it happens after that war in the second half. And so that to me is not the Armageddon battle. 
It's a lot like it, but it's like a birth bang. Armageddon's going to be destruction even more so around the world, perhaps not in the same numbers because of all of the people that are being killed. I mean, we'll see how many are are, are left. Um, and I wouldn't confuse wrath with tribulation. Uh, the New Testament uses uh, two different words for wrath in terms of the Greek, and they are thumos and orge. Uh, are the two words and they're used in conjunction with each other as you see wrath come up in the new testament and so it's not philippies for tribulation so what what's what's the difference and the difference is is that tribulation is what christians go through wrath is reserved for those who are going to take the mark worship antichrist worship satan it's not for Christians. It's a separate thing. But that doesn't mean we don't go through tribulation because we're told we're going to go through tribulation just as we see saints going through tribulation. And there's a year of the Lord's wrath, the year of the Lord's vengeance, the day of the Lord. Again, using that same day for a year, you get that crossover of the prophetic allegory that's telling you there's a full year of the wrath that's going to happen when the wrath bowls are poured out. So what we're being promised is to be saved from the, from the wrath, which is the word orge that's used for a wrath uh, in the Bible, as opposed to the Thumus one or in the new Testament. So we have, we want to make sure we're not confusing wrath with tribulation. And when we start to separate those sort of concepts and we put it around the chronological order that Jesus provides, everything sort of starts to make some sense. Mm, interesting. Yeah, Brian, I, I, was... I, would, I would just say to that um, a couple of things is um, in terms of the blood moon and the sun turning dark, the only time that happens is at the sixth seal. So that's so that's so that's that's why so I think that's why I believe well, that is the fulfillment. Lots of Old Testament verses talk about the sky going dark. It's in Joel. It's in Isaiah. It's in other books. But Joel two thirty one in particular describes the sun turning black and the moon turning to blood, which only occurs at the sixth seal. So yeah, there are other dark. Well, you have to be careful with Joel two because it's not saying it's Armageddon. It is the day of the Lord is coming. Armageddon follows in Joel three. Sure, I don't believe it's. I don't believe the sixth seal is Armageddon. I believe it's the beginning of it. I don't believe it's. The, I don't believe it's Armageddon at all. So, so um, you think it's a seven-year wrath period of Armageddon? No, I, 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 I don't see. I, I believe that the sixth seal is the start of the day of the Lord. That's and Armageddon is a series of battles near the end of the seven years of the day of the Daniel 70th week. So I don't, I don't see them as being. Well, how, how do you reconcile the year of the Lord's vengeance that follows the year of the Lord's favor? I'm not familiar with the year of the Lord's favor. So I, again, I'm, I, I'm not that I'm not, I'm not familiar okay. with that, uh, that concept. So, but that's just how that's, I, I'm just saying, but in terms of the fulfillment of that series, that, that solar or interstellar's, series of events that I believe that only takes place at the sixth seal. I'd also say too, on Ezekiel 38, in terms of Gog, Magog, and why I see it as two separate battles is that the conditions of Ezekiel 38 with respect to Israel are Israel dwelling in safety without bars, without gates, um, which I see prophetically in the old Testament, the prophecies of that I believe take place during the millennium. 
not prior to that, that Israel is in complete safety. Could be uh, the three and a half years that God is protecting Judah in the wilderness that's talked about in Revelation 12, waiting for the tribes of lost Israel who are awakened and visible Judah tribes around the world to be led back to the wilderness to join up with them in the wilderness as Ezekiel 37 talks about and the time of the uh, second exodus with Ezekiel 37 also talks about. Sure, but I believe I believe they'll be in Edom during that time in Basra, and Jesus leads them back. When says, "Who is this coming from Basra?" So I believe they don't they won't be in Israel at that time. They will be supernaturally protected. Absolutely, the re the believing remnant will be supernaturally protected, but I believe that takes place in Edom, whereas we see in Ezekiel thirty eight, it's specifically talking about Israel, the nation being with no defense, defenseless, and I believe that's only going to take place during the millennium. Well, when um, Jesus comes back from Edom, that's at the time of Armageddon after he's destroyed Edom. Sure. Yeah, correct. That's right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I don't think he's saying different. Yeah, yeah, I'm, okay. yeah I'm not disagreeing okay. with that at all. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah, that thought, he's I'm making just... the point that the 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 Ezekiel 30 uh 38 prophecy is talking about living in the land of unwalled villages and living safely in and then he's going to come upon the mountains of Israel. I, I don't think you could equate that with Edom or the wilderness, you know, in in, in any event. But I, I see your point though, Gary. But I think I think I'm I'm with you on that, Ryan. That um well, it's, the, wilderness, it, the attack of Gog is upon the mountains of Israel. The wilderness is in the desert, as it would be understood as the wilderness. Right, but I think the wilderness wouldn't be considered to be Israel because everything about that historically they wandered in the wilderness, you know, until they went into the promised land. I would think it's it's equated to that somehow. Yeah, right? I would agree with it's that. It would be somewhere protected by God for that three and a half years, so they wouldn't have walls and things because they're protected by God. All right. right, or or it could be the millennial reign of Christ. They're protected for a thousand years, and then when Satan is loosed a little season, that's another Gog and Magog battle that takes place for sure. Well, wouldn't Gog and Magog that bring a lot more believers to God because he's put a stamp on that promise right there and says like, if it, when this happens, uh, you will know that like basically he is God because he he's saying he's making a promise that he will protect them no matter what. Well, what happens, happens though, and, and all that all that prophecy fulfills, you're gonna have a lot more believers coming back to you're gonna have a lot more believers coming back to 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 well, a lot yeah. of a lot of believers, a lot of Gentiles, a lot of people are gonna come to believe that because they're gonna know this Magog, Magog happen and God Magog prophecy happen. You're gonna have a lot more way more believers happening because they're like, Well, wow. what's gonna happen though, Josh, is is that I suspect and I anticipate that Antichrist will use this as his counterfeit Armageddon yeah. because he has to uh, he has to present credentials that he is the true Messiah, and he's going to use that and take credit. And I think uh, Ryan was saying that he would take credit for that war. And that happens at the midpoint of the last seven years that he is going to then move his armies, as Luke and Daniel talk about, around Jerusalem after that war and set up the abomination. So that is a war that's going to happen, I think, based on that. Um, 
before the midpoint of the last seven years. And if you look at Ezekiel 37 as well, that's the time of the dry bones. That's a resurrection of past Israel to join modern Israel. They're going to go as Daniel 12 talks about. And this is the time of Jacob's trouble in the time of the great tribulation of the last three and a half years, as Jesus talks about, that they're going to go under the judgment, some to everlasting life and some to, um, uh, to death. And Israel is going to recognize with the abomination in Jesus' sign that that's the Messiah. And Judah's going to recognize the one as their pierced. And they're going to be brought back into the bride in the second half in time for the Armageddon battle and the Supper of the Lamb that happens in Revelation 19. Mm. Okay. And um, I think we were like at, uh, I think, Ryan, I think we left off at like what the second trumpet. Um, basically, at, I think, uh, so time-wise, uh did you did you want to carry on from there? I think Ryan, because I think I think we, you got done, and you we're like timeline wise. I think we we're like at the second trumpet, right? Yeah, sure. So I mean, yeah. So uh, again, yeah. So just, just so people get an idea, because yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm yeah, telling absolutely. you, some of the listeners that are listening, I mean, you guys are so in depth, like. But I, I just want yeah, people yeah. to get I an think, idea uh, what's uh, happening because when I read Revelation, like when I first read Revelation and, and I start reading about these seals and these trumpets and these mm -hmm. 21 judgments, I have no clue what I'm reading. I have no idea. So uh, just, just so we can keep a timeline going. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. You guys so, are so in depth. It's hard to probably to keep up for some no, people. Like, no, 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 no problem. So uh, just to try and, you know, uh, simplify. So you get to the, 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 the first four trumpet judgments now okay. that are being unleashed. And you see this repetition of a third, right? A third of the, of the seas and the waters, right? A third of the grass that they, they're now being judged. Um, I believe that's taking us up in now we're in the first three and a half years, I believe of the final seven years, Daniel's 70th week. And so I this believe is that, that, that three and a half years that, uh, that the end three and a half years is where the, is where we're at, right? Or I believe this beginning? is the first half. This is the oh. first. So you have seven years. I believe we're in the first half. Okay, and, right here uh, when at the fourth trumpet. Yes. Okay, okay. So cool. in the in, in the in the in the first four trumpets, leading us to the fifth trumpet. And for for me, from you know the way my 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 kind of timeline of Revelation, the fifth trumpet to me is the pivotal 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 event. Kind of of the, of the entire day of the Lord, right? Of we're of this chronology, because I believe that is the midpoint. I believe that's the time when the abyss is opened, yeah. and now you have these locusts that are released from the abyss, from the bottomless pit. And I believe those locusts, quote unquote, are actually the Genesis six rebels who've been locked in chains, as we're told in Jude verses six and seven in Second Peter chapter two, that they who that they who are presently locked in chains, the Genesis six uh, forefathers of the Nephilim. I believe they are now released from the abyss at the fifth trumpet, and they're told there's, there's a king with them, uh, Apollyon or Abaddon, the king of the bottomless pit. And I believe that is the spirit that will indwell the Antichrist. So you already have the Antichrist rising to power beginning his deception but we're told in revelation chapter 13 verse 4 that he receives a deadly wound and that deadly wound is healed and i believe that point at the fifth trumpet that's the that is the midpoint uh of the of the seven years and when he comes back to life his resurrection the antichrist resurrection from the mortal wound he's now possessed by the spirit and the reason why i i can i tie it to saying this is the middle because when you look in revelation chapter 11 
you have this testimony of the two witnesses, right? They test, they're testifying, they give the testimony of Christ, and it says that they testify for 1260 days, for three and a half years. And it says the beast that ascended from the bottomless pit then kills them. So I believe that's that's now the the satanically, fully satanically and, 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 and possessed Antichrist kills them. And I believe that's the midpoint. And it says, one woe has passed, two woes are to come, which are the sixth and seventh trumpets. So that's uh okay. in a very condensed version how I see the first five trumpets lead showing us a chronology of the first three and a half years. Because so as we know, 12 and 60 days have gone by, the three witnesses are killed, and we're told that that is the fifth trumpet. So, All right. Any Anything to add to that, guys, Scott or Gary? I, I'm in agreement with that chronology, uh, but Gary, go ahead if you want to. Well, no, no, I was going to wait for you to. Okay. I was going to come in. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that chronology. I, I really do see um from my perspective um kind of getting back to what we were discussing about the laodicean age you know when the church is lukewarm and he says i spew you out of my mouth and i tie that into romans chapter 11 where paul said um i would not have you ignorant of this mystery that blindness in part has happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles become in and and what paul was warning the gentiles in romans 11 was that don't don't be high-minded the original natural branches were cut off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith, be not high-minded, but fear, because if God is able to cut off the natural branches, he could also cut off you. And I think that's a that's a prophetic statement through Paul that the church is going to be cut off at some point from the from the blessings of Israel, the, the not salvation, that's never lost, but I'm talking about the salva- the uh, the blessing program. And when the church is cut off, God is no longer going to use it as it's being used right now. We're going to go out. We're no longer any, any uh, effective purpose in the world today. The message is going to go back to the gospel of the kingdom, and the, the most qualified people to preach that are going to be the Jews that are sealed. And that God has reserved. And so they would be preaching during the time of the two witnesses. I'm totally in agreement about that. For three and a half years, Christ had a three and a half year ministry on the earth, preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 144,000 are going to have a three and a half year ministry on earth, preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand with signs and wonders returning. It's focused to Israel. You know, it's, it's a focus of gathering Israel. The church goes out of the way because we're in the way. And I don't, I know some might have, I can't remember who alluded to it, but I don't think in my teaching, I don't see what's being removed from the earth as the Holy Spirit. Not at all. What's being removed from the earth is the body of Christ, the, the current Gentile joint church. When we go out, uh, the Spirit remains, like Gary said, working through the 144,000, working through those saints, working through the, the miracles and signs of, I think, Moses and Elijah, but that's my opinion of the two witnesses, you know? Yeah. Good opinion. That's- that was going to be one of my yeah one of the questions that I'll ask is who do you, who do you guys believe? That's a Gary, good opinion. I Gary, agree with you, Scott. Yeah, G- Gary, go ahead. Uh, you could you could finish and then we'll ask that question. Yeah, so I, I would say uh, in terms of the chronology, um, kind of an agreement in a number of things. There, I would sort of back up to the, the seals first and say I think they're open just before the start of the last seven years, and you get sort of the setup for what's going to be that empire. 
uh, that's going to happen as part of the first few riders. I won't go through and all of the details and, and the Greek words and this and that, but just sort of that's how I kind of look at it. And then I, as I see the trumpets being blasted. They're going to start happening after the seal. So after the start of the commission and the start of the, fir a lot of the first three and a half years with the two witnesses. And again, interesting argument. Maybe we'll go down to that one. That one's always a fun argument. Um, <laughs> and the commission of the 144,000. And we know the two witnesses are going to do their commission for three and a half years because we're given that time frame. And that's in the first half, right? Um, uh, and just as the trumpets are part of the first half, they might spill over to just slightly into the second half in the, in the days of the trumpet that I'll come back to in, in, in a second. Um, and you have the 144,000 as well that, uh, as I said, show up in Revelation 14. So if you're going with that as a sequence and then they're shown in heaven and they would be part of those first fruits, I would place them in that as being part of the, the, the martyrs. And I would also sort of look at the, um, the, the trumpets as being the unfolding of the mystery of God in in the final parts of the trumpet right and i would look at trumpets as being a significant marker for prophetic timing both in the old testament and the new testament and a lot of the prophecies so look to match some of those up as well just as we get a trumpet blast that's going to happen uh in the second half of the oration that that jesus provides so what i find uh in if people were to take uh, the first, uh, let's say from Revelation 6 to Revelation 14 and overlay that on what Jesus said up to uh, or Matthew 20 using, I like to use Matthew 20 as the template, then I add the extra details of Mark and Luke into it. That's your first three and a half years and it matches up perfectly. And that's why you get that summary of the events for the last three and a half years after the 144,000 are in heaven. Then you get the details of that, that lead into the great tribulation um, so there's still going to be tribulation of people not raptured, right? Um, in, in, the, in, in the second half, those who don't take the mark, but it, they're, they're still not going to be part of the wrath of God somehow, some way, either they're all killed or, or, or some survive. And I think some survive in, 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 into the millennium, but what you get is, is this great tribulation that leads into the wrath. And the year of the Lord's favor is the busting out of the prisoners, as Luke 4 talks about and Isaiah 63 talk about. So you have this bringing back in of Israel in the time of second Exodus and back in time for the supper and for the supper of, of the lamb. And that's the year of the Lord's favor. And then it's followed by the year of the Lord's wrath bowls. Mm. Okay. Who do you guys believe are the two witnesses? Uh, we'll start out with you, Ryan. I think you're muted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm here. So, um, so I'm not. I'll start off by saying I'm. I'm actually not dogmatic on this question. So, um, <laughs> and I think they're very good. And Scott already mentioned, you know, uh, Moses and Elijah. You mentioned Scott, and I think I know he's going to have a very good explanation for this. I've discussed with him before, so I'll, I'll let him do Moses and Elijah. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna throw out something totally different. Um, two possible. Uh, candidates and try and go through the reasoning so i i think there's a possibility 
that the two witnesses are uh, Joshua, the high priest uh, from the book of Zechariah, right? So we're talking, and not Joshua, from the book of Joshua, and then Zerubbabel. So, right, so you're talking about the high priest and the governor in Jerusalem at the time of the, you know, the rebuilding after the Babylonian captivity. And so, and the reason why is um, they both have very interesting prophetic conversations with God that re really, um, I think, have repetition in the book of Revelation. And so, so you know, in, in, in Zechariah chapter three, you have this interesting passage where Joshua, the high priest, is before the throne of God and says, Satan is at his right hand. So clearly, again, we're in heaven now. And yeah, this account where where God says essentially that you know is this not one a brand plucked from the fire and and, and it says there's several things that I noticed about this passage it says one that his garments were filthy and God gives him clean garments right so he's taking his sin away he's forgiving but he gives he gives him clean garments and then and then I'm actually going to just read briefly some of the verses here because it's really interesting what is said to him and it says so after he he's he's given clean garments a change of raiment. He says, I've caused your iniquity to pass away from you. This is verse four in Zechariah chapter three. And then he puts a miter on his head. And it says that the angel of the Lord said to Joshua, if thou will walk in my ways, if thou will keep my charge, then thou shalt judge my house and shall keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. So God's telling him, if you, I'm going to give you a mission. If you fulfill it, you will be among these others who are around you. So he's among a group of people. And then continues by saying, hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. And so if you look again in Revelation chapter, at the fifth, at the fifth seal, the martyrs under the altar who ask God, we mentioned before, how long till you avenge us? God tells them, wait a little while, but he also gives them garments. When you get to Revelation chapter seven, where I believe you see the raptured church, they have, it specifically says they have on white robes, right? So they have on these white garments that symbolize them being in, or they're in heaven. So I believe, is this a, a prophetic image of him standing among or seeing a vision of the raptured church and God saying, if you fulfill my mission, you're going to stand with these men who are wondered at. And then it says in verse nine, I won't read, you know, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but then it says that, for behold, the stone I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that, of that land in one day. So again, I believe this is referring to the end times, the redemption of Israel, the temple, keeping my house, right? And what were Zerubbabel and, and Joshua trying to do at that time is about rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the temple. And so I believe in end times, that's a possibility. And when you get to Zerubbabel, you see a prophecy in Haggai where, you know, that famous verse, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And it tells Zerubbabel that God's asking him to be an ensign at some point in the future. And he makes this reference to 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 him being an olive tree standing before the Lord. And you see, again, this symbol of these olive trees and branches and, and lamps before the Lord in the book of Revelation. So I think there's a possibility that both of them, uh, those two, um, who had a similar mission, again, a lot of this is centered around the temple, could be the two witnesses witnessing at the third temple in the Great Tribulation. I've never heard that before, so that's that's awesome. I'm glad I got to hear a, a different per perception 
Uh, and Gary, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we have to speculate because we're not provided the names. So of course, of be, course. This is all speculation. We, we want to be clear on fun. that. But we know there are two <laughs> witnesses. Um, I, you know, I, I find the argument absolutely fascinating and all the good reasons. I, I tend to sort of look, look, sort of lock my investigation in to try and narrow it down as best as I can, as flawed as 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 we are is is that everybody is reserved to die the first death once except for those that are going to be raptured right um and so there's not that many candidates who haven't suffered that first death and we know the two witnesses are going to die so if 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 that's true and again that's just sort of one of the basis is to sort of for me to start trying to narrow it down then that suggests to me that we have um Enoch, who could testify as a witness to the antediluvian epoch, which would be a good choice. You have Elijah, who we know is coming back, uh, but to make the way for Jesus, as opposed, which might be more if you're uh, a mid-trib and slightly after like I am from positioning, which makes more sense with, with Jesus coming back then and uh, for his days of Exodus and his days of Armageddon to make that way. So he's one, but he may have a different role. And I'll come back to that in a second. And then there's another one that would be, we, you would need a, te uh, a witness for the new covenant, the new Testament. And you get this interesting passage at the passages at the end of the book of John about the disciple Jesus loved. And this discussion about was, is he going to die or not? And basically, you know, Jesus is saying, well, what's that to you, whether I, I want him to live basically till I come back or not, right? And so I think you've got three good individuals there based on who suffered the first death, if that's one of the criterias. Um, and so I, but I would say I would narrow it down to Enoch and the disciple Jesus loved, who's not named there's lots of theories from uh, Lazarus to uh, Mary Magdalene to um, uh, Nathanael. I, I kind of like that one as well. Uh, I more lean towards that one. Um, but you could also some people name John as well. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure if we get a, a, a death of, of John or not that's in the scripture that we can rely on. So one might be sort of open to that. And Elijah would also fit very well with the bringing back of lost Israel and Judah in the Exodus as one of the seven shepherds uh, that is led by Jesus in Micah 2 and Micah 5 um, for that event. So I would lean based on that, that I can fit all three in. And I would lean towards Enoch and the disciple Jesus loved who that would be. Um, and wow. You also get, as, as I won't go in too deep into this one, but as it was referenced in the book of Zechariah with those two olive stands and all of that imagery that goes in there, um, it just starts to open up doors uh, to all sorts of possibilities as who's who's being represented there in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and those stands also show up in the, in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. So, um, so, yeah, you can go at it a thousand different ways. I sort of zeroed in and said, I think it's probably in these three because of that first sort of basis and premise that I made. Man, it's weird because when I first asked that question, uh, which I've never thought of, uh, I thought of Enoch and Elijah for some reason. I don't know. Maybe God just put that in my head. So when you started speaking, Gary, I was like, I wonder if he's going to say that. So, hey, that's interesting. 
all the takes were were awesome. Uh, I think Elijah and and Moses met Jesus on the hill. So I don't. Is, Scott, do you want to go through why you why you chose them, or uh, or are you just? You, I mean, I'll just give you very quick ones because we've yeah. already mentioned yeah, the yeah. names Moses and Elijah. I yeah. definitely defer to the superior intellect of both Gary and Ryan <laughs> on these other choices, which I think are excellent and yeah. and dead right. We we can only speculate because we're not given the names, but I base my belief on on. Three things. One, you just mentioned, Josh, the Mount of Transfiguration showed the kingdom in a vision form with both Moses and Elijah present with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The other um, reason I would, number two, would be the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, mentions both Moses and Elijah by name. Uh, and in verse uh, four of chapter four, it says, remember you the law of Moses, my servant. And in verse five, it says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And that doesn't necessarily mean they will be the two witnesses, but it, it sure does seem to point in that direction. Yeah. But the third thing that kind of cinches it for me for now, and I'm wide open to a better understanding if the Lord shows it, I have no, I, this is not my hill to die on by any stretch. Uh, and that's in Revelation 11, when they're described, the two witnesses there. It's the power they're given in verse six. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, which happened with Elijah. Yep. Three and a half years. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will, which would have preceded the Exodus with Moses. Yeah. So I think those are my arguments for those two names. Well, but you think that's why uh <clears throat> that's why uh, Michael fought the devil for his for Moses' body as well, because his body might be needed later on in life. <clears throat> you know, that's a great question, Jason. And I wonder sometimes, is he talking about the physical body of Moses, which did die? Or was he talking about the church that was baptized under Moses in the cloud? As we are the body of Christ, could that have been a church? Mm. Could that have been Israel? And it was something about their righteousness. You know, that that's a great that's a great point. But yeah. I bet Gary has a, an even better point to make. Yeah, I put up my hand. Me. Well, it's interesting in that you're talking about uh, in the book of Jude, where Satan has come to claim Moses' dead body, uh, or a book of Hebrews, I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I might be mixing it up. But anyway, it's, it comes Jude. To, Jude. it's Jude. Yeah. Jude. So right. what's interesting about that is, is I think Satan's going there for his due legal right to claim Moses, because Moses was adopted into the royal family of the pharaohs and he would have been initiated at heliopolis into the mysteries and taken all of the oaths swearing his loyalty and everything else and we were held accountable for our oaths which is why we're instructed not to give an oath because you're going to be held accountable for that and so when moses died because of those oaths i think he showed up to to make claim his legal right on he's not going to go to heaven he's mine hmm. and but the thing is 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 satan isn't the god most high and god trumped that legal claim he can trump anything that he wants because he is who he is and he can do what he chooses because he's the alpha omega and he knows everything and so i think that's why you have that claim there and just my sort of interesting thought because it's such an odd 
passage that sort of comes out of nowhere and says, well, why is Satan fighting over Moses's body? And how many other bodies, you know, of, of the disciples or, or great prophets was he fighting over? We're not told of any, just the one. Um, and so, yeah, and I do recognize that Moses was was in in the it was in the transfiguration, and you know what? He could be back in the last seven years as well, because there's seven shepherds, and even eight, as it says. So, for for the Exodus, so there could be more people, but it's such a it's such a fabulous topic in terms of why two witnesses and not three or not however many or seven which would be a complete number and why aren't they named it's just yeah. a mystery right <laughs> it's interesting also maybe uh maybe satan might want might have wanted his body so he could put it somewhere in you know so that maybe jews would be like worshiping it you know what i mean that's maybe another way to think about it like let's say they did let's say satan got the body and they put it in a casket and they put it into jerusalem and then moses's body you know his casket was there i don't know maybe i'm just tripping it's just oh yeah that came oh, to oh, my sure mind. Would. just just as what happened in israel when they were starting to worship the uh the seraphim in, image on the pole that was put up in 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 the time of the exodus right yeah that, that, that's satan would absolutely use it that's a crazy <laughs> subject as well because why why use a brass serpent yeah that's 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 crazy. It kind of makes you wonder what would Satan want with his body anyway, seeing as how the soul is what he's interested in, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's he that's did where sin, I though. he did sin before you he didn't get to see the promised land, so he, he died before seeing the promised land, right? So well, and that's yeah. absolutely true, but that's why I say there's a possibility that we're looking at it from a different perspective. Because if we think about we that are baptized by one spirit into one body, and Christ is the head of the church, the body of Christ. And that's a church. And then Paul mentioned that they, the our fathers were baptized in the cloud and in the sea under Moses. And so he was like the head of a church because Christ had not yet been offered for sins. So it could be that it was a dispute over that group, over that church. I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those. Good point. All right. So, all right. So um, now we're on the sixth trumpet, basically in the, in the timeline. So we'd go like the sixth trumpet. Um, uh, now, question uh about the sixth trumpet uh it's talking about the four angels who are bound in the great river of euphrates a lot of people right now have been sending video after video and ryan i know you're pretty good on this one i hear because i've heard you on a lot of podcasts on this part but um a lot of people are like oh like all these uh people that aren't even non-christian are like look at the, the river of euphrates is drying up right now and there's some people that are saying they're recording some sounds and also like tombs are 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 uh, are being exposed because the uh, the river's drying up. So um, people keep on saying, "Well, it's happening, it's happening," but they don't understand like the seals have to be broken first, and then also the uh, the other trumpets have to go off because obviously they're not reading the Bible. So, but uh, go ahead, Ryan, on that one if you can. Um, the four yeah, angels sure, that are found sure. in yeah, the Great River right. Euphrates. Right. So so yeah. So so lots to say here, right? So as it was in the days of Noah, so I believe here, you know, we're seeing the reenactment of the flood judgment, right? So you have first, you know, in the days of Noah, you had the, the, the windows of heaven open and the rain obviously came down, but also the fountains of the deep. So you had water coming from below and from above. And I believe in the end times, you're going to see an angelic flood. So you have now the abyss is opened. You have the locust, the Genesis six angels come out from the abyss, the spirit abaddon but then you also have the revelation 12 the angel satan invicted with the remainder of the fallen angels coming down to earth and in the midst of this you also have the sixth trumpet these four angels who are bound in the euphrates so i also believe we're bound in the days of noah but 
they clearly were warriors, serious warrior angels, because they, they, you know, they lead an assault and wipe out a third of the population, right? They, they kill these, I mean, they are, they're killing, you know, over a billion people. And so um, what I see there is, you know, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, but he said also, likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. And what I show is, I believe what were these two judgments of the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet are what I call quantum repetitions, dynamic repetitions through time of the judgment in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. How is that? When we see the, uh, again, it's connected to time. At the fifth trumpet, we were told that these locusts uh, who don't harm the grass, so they're not really insects. I believe they're, again, the grotesque figures of these fallen angels have now been degraded. It says they torment the, those who do not have the seal of God. So the unsaved world, the unsaved people of the world, they torment them for uh for five months right 150 days on the hebrew calendar when you go back and i show this in in judgment of the nephilim i talk about the that assyrian the, who i believe was the fallen angel who led the rebellion in the days of, of noah who uh also i believe is called abad on apollon who's the king of the bottomless pit that when in ezekiel chapter 31 it describes his rise and fall and god says the end of ezekiel 31 that in the day he judged him the day he was dragged down to the abyss god says i he said god says i abated the floodwaters were abated they were assuaged the floodwaters were restrained going to genesis chapter 8 when you look at the chronology of the flood, right? The flood destroyed the Nephilim. It just destroyed the Nephilim, destroyed all, all the earth except for Noah and his family on the ark. And I believe the angels were dragged onto the abyss. It was after 150 days. That is when the floodwaters were restrained and returned back down to the down to the abyss, dragging the angels with them. So I, I make the connection of 150 days of judgment before the angels were brought down to the abyss. Then they were released from the abyss in the end times. And now they torment the unsaved world for 150 days, mm. as it was in the days of Noah. Then you get to the sixth trumpet. And what we're told, you have these four angels, again, who are released from the, who are bound below the, the river Euphrates. And now they are set for it for a judgment, it says for a year a month, a day, and an hour, which again, on the Hebrew calendar is 392 days. And so what does that mean? What's the connection there? What I show is, well, I, I just put out the chronology. You just see again in the book of Genesis, when you go from the time uh, of, the, of the flood to when God is getting preparing to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, it's 392 years. And so I believe it's just a day for a year punishment, which God says at certain times, you know, in Numbers 13, when the 12 spies come back and they rebel against God, 10 rebel, God's going to judge you 40 years, a day for a year. In the book of Ezekiel, God judges, he makes Ezekiel lay on his side for 390 uh, days, a day for a year of judgment against Israel. So I believe we're seeing a the days of Noah at the fifth trumpet, the days of Lot at the sixth trumpet, and obviously the unsaved world being judged and, and wiped out, you know, a third of the population wiped out. Mm. Okay. And uh, all right. So any, any anything you guys have on that? We're, we're, then we go into the seventh trumpet, right? Uh, would be the next. Uh, uh, I'll touch on just a little bit of what Ryan was talking about. So, okay. yeah, I mean, these were, you know, angels that were chained, right? So loyal angels aren't chained. So they're fallen angels reserved 
to cause destruction to humankind for a specific period of time, which leads into the 200 million man war that most people think is Armageddon. I, I tend to think it's the Joel 1 and 2 war and the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war that counterfeit Armageddon. And just as Joel talks about, it's the greatest armies that was ever assembled or ever will be. So the armies are bigger there than there will be at Armageddon. And we don't get any numbers that are, uh, you know, for you know further on passages in Revelation to the numbers in in in, in Armageddon. Um, and what's interesting about the woes that are that that are happening at the at this time of the trumpets and those that are released from the abyss is the first woe, right? Uh, so this is this is important stuff and people who don't have the seal or whether or not it's Christians or it's just 144,000 good arguments on both sides. Um, they're going to be stung by these things for five months and they're going to want death and it's not going to come. This is going to be horrific for whoever they run, run across on. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for scorpion is a crab. And it's also interesting that in Sumeria, uh, in pre-flood times, they had these warrior gods that were part of, it says created by Tiamat, but I think it's, I don't think they create gods. I think they're just part of the angelic uh, Saba uh, host of heaven, an army, that these are the warrior destroyer type of angels that they, you know, rebelled against God with in, in, you know, in the original uh, rebellion and that they were called the Akraba Malu, sometimes also called the Gerda Balu, but they are, if you look at the uh, depictions on the release, if you, if you Google that, they are almost identical for the description of these things coming out of the abyss. And they had the ability to destroy the world is the power of the weapons that these things had. And they, they act exactly the same. So Ryan was saying that it's his um, belief that these are degraded fallen angels in a different sort of stature than that what they would have had before they were sentenced. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And we see that in another group of angels that probably... Uh, if if they were degraded after the flood, they would have ended up going to the abyss for the same types of crimes as the ones the angels before the uh, the flood, and that's the satir, and that's the Hebrew word sair, and it's a contracted word, and ayir is the word that, and some people just say ear, uh, is the Hebrew word that's used four times in the Dan in the book of Daniel, chapter four for watcher. And sa is a shortened formed in that contracted word for hairy or shaggy. And that the definition of satir or sair is a shaggy goat god or a hairy goat god or a shaggy goat, as it's also used in, in, in the Old Testament. And these are degraded watchers, the satirs, just like the scorpions are. And so I think he's bang on that these are the, you know, the, the destroyer class that Abaddon, um, Apollyon, and um, I think is Azazel, uh, the scapegoat who was the destroyer of the world, uh, just as scapegoat goes back in the King James Version Bible to Azazel, um, for all of the sins of the antediluvian world and taught the world the arts of 
making weapons, the art of war that wasn't there before, that is, you know, the cause of the violence through the demigod Nephilim that paraded the world along with the universal religion into uh, absolute destruction. And what's also interesting about what Ryan had said earlier that, and uh, I thought was really good, he was, he was, he's thinking that somehow, some way, there is a possession or as the polytheists would probably call it in this case an avatar avatara effect going on with the leader of the abyss who is going to be the avatar with the avatara antichrist and give him additional power uh in in the end time and what's interesting is is that the son of perdition is part of a greek a set of greek words that are associated with apollyon and goes through to gods like apollo and that he is either allegorically a son of Azazel or Abad and Apollyon, because those are titles. They're not an angel's name. It ends in E-L for an angel's name. So it's a title, just as Shiva is a destroyer god and the equivalent god in the Hindu pantheon. And so it seems like perhaps maybe at the time of the mortal wound, just before the midpoint of the last seven years that Antichrist receives, maybe that's the point where that incarnation as has been inserted into christianity which is a polytheist term that uh shiva and vishnu used to do like vishnu was the incarnation into buddha just as antichrist is going to be the new buddha it's a it's not a christian concept uh, we have to be careful um of that term and that's why they look at antichrist as being a uh as an incarnation for the end time because he's just one of many that have come along that these gods have gone into and we know biblically angels can do this because satan entered into judas just before the crucif uh, crucifixion to go through with betraying jesus because he was struggling to do that so we know satan and angels by extension, would have that ability to do that. So I just thought I'd underline that point that Ryan's mm -hmm. made a couple of times on the uh, the scorpion angels. Inter yeah, that was all interesting right there. So then we got the seventh trumpet, and then we got the uh, the plagues after that, right? The seven plagues or the vials, or uh, some some people would call it, or bowls is another thing they would call it. Uh, the seven is that the wrath that you were talking about, Gary? It is, and. We, it's the it's, it's the year of the Lord's wrath that the Old Testament talks about being poured out poured out over the last uh, time of the day of the Lord, and so these wrath bowls are going to affect sometime into Antichrist's reign. So they're not starting right at his reign. He's going to have a reign where things start you know, uh, are, are going, I think, reasonably well. But then the wars and things, just as in Daniel 11, after the abomination, we start to see some of those wars, that, some of the pushback from the rest of the countries around the world. And so uh, the it's I always find it astounding how the imagery and the prophetic language of the Old Testament and the New Testament always matches up in perfection. And so if we look at that as, as a year of the Lord's wrath, the year of his vengeance, um, and I won't go through all the different passages on that, then that's the time of the wrath bulls. And that's what we're not going to be part of, because that's reserved for the people who take the mark, worship Antichrist, and worship Satan. Mm. Ryan or Scott, either one. <laughs> 
Well, I'll, I would say that um, to me, the wrath of God is falling throughout the last three and a half years. That That is what I see happening, uh, because clearly the um, the angels loose from the bottomless pit and the huge army from Joel chapter two, that's in um, the, the sixth uh, seal are God's wrath upon this earth. You know, I don't think they're there to give tribulation to the saints necessarily. They're there to, to torment those that don't take the mark. And uh, also it's it's true that during the entire three and a half year, second half of the three and a half years is when I believe this, um, the everlasting gospel is being preached. What, to me, once Moses and Elijah or whoever the two witnesses are finish their testimony, I believe they're going to be caught up along with the 144,000. Uh, and we would I would call that a mid-tribulation rapture of that group of people. But once they leave, uh, Israel flees, that's when the war in Revelation 12 takes place and the angels are cast down. So to me, the all the entire three and a half years at the, at the last half are the ones uh, is God's wrath being poured down. I equate the day of the Lord as the entire thousand-year reign of Christ plus the darkness of the last three and a half years, because the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. And yet when the Lord comes, he's the day spring, the day dawns, and he brings light back. So it's the day of the Lord the whole time he's here reigning on the earth. But it begins with wrath, just as the Hebrew day starts with the evening and then the morning. And uh, incidentally, that everlasting gospel is being preached by an angel. No humans are left to preach a gospel during the last three and a half years. It's angels saying, don't take the mark worship God and come out of Babylon, uh, which to me is apostate Jerusalem under the auspices of the Antichrist, but that's another another story. Okay, Ryan. Uh, We're on the seven seven bulls now, Ryan. Well, so well, 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 well. Gary's got a point. Go ahead, Gary. So <laughs> I, I, I look at the gospel being preached that Jesus talks about as being a first three and a half year um event and just as it happens before the abomination in the chronology that he provides part of that gospel being preached is the 144,000 and the two witnesses and then at revelation 14 uh 6 you get the final angel that is going to preach the final gospel and then we get that interesting summary afterwards for the summary of the last three and a half years so that's kind of the cutoff of that preaching of the gospel and then you go into the last three and a half years and i think you're going to see horrible events all the way through the three and a half years but i i still look at the year of the lord's favor and then the uh, year of the lord's wrath ryan <laughs> go ahead <laughs> yeah so i mean these are all excellent points and um I would I would just add uh two things. One that, you know, uh Gary kind of already alluded to that how we're seeing this kind of again the repetition, right? So much of this, I believe, is like you know, repetition of the Exodus judgments. And he even mentioned before a second Exodus, right? This is like God is now directing his judgment in a similar fashion, water turning to blood, uh, sores, boils on the skin. So we're seeing this repetition of the Exodus, and then even darkness directed specifically at the antichrist seat at his throne um so i would i would add that and the other thing too to remember when we think about the witnesses the 144,000 the angel that's actually preaching to the world saying don't take the mark of the beast 
is that there is going to be massive, I believe, supernatural deception from the Antichrist, from the false prophet, and from all the angels that are now on earth, right? The veil is removed. It says that, that so there's so the you know, think about the world has to be massively deceived to just embrace the Antichrist. Revelation 13 says they're going to worship Satan. Even during the vile judgments and the and the trumpet judgments, they still don't repent. God brings these cataclysmic judgments. Death, a third of the population dies, and people still don't repent. It says of their sorceries. So people are going to really, you know, and, and of course in Matthew 24 it says that even the elect could be deceived if it were possible. So this is going to be mind-blowing supernatural deception taking place. And so uh uh, I agree with all the other points. Just wanted to add that as well as to yeah. why you see that people still are resisting God after all of this, you know, cataclysmic judgment. Incidentally, the word sorceries there you mentioned in Revelation is the Greek word pharmacopoeia, uh, yeah. which has to do with drugs, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. 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 So interesting. So well, interesting. and what's interesting is Babylon deceives the world with her sorceries, pharmacia, and Babylon is going to be the one who sets up the beast system for Antichrist. That's going to include the implant system, right? That's going to be uh, delivering, as the Davos people were saying in 2017, they want um, digitally applied medicine through the implant system. And they're going to deliver this with in that sort of manner that connects to all the other different sort of technologies uh, through the healthcare system, and people are going to demand it because I think most of I think the 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 seals and the uh, uh, trumpet judgments are contrived catastrophes by the rulers of the earth, and again separate from the wrath of God that is reserved for um, the people who, um, as you know, we've talked about the, taking the mark and worshiping Satan and Antichrist. So I, th I just think that's just so kind of interesting in terms of looking at it from, from that kind of perspective. That really is. You're not saying that Davos group has anything to do with the Serpent Brotherhood, are you, Gary? I, I, I sure hope they aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the Committee of 300. No, nothing to do with that. <laughs> nothing like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Now we're getting into some deep stuff. All right, so all right, so we got the sixth bowl. Then the seventh bowl is poured. Okay, so um, thunder, lightning, earthquake destroys the cities of the world. Okay, uh, now we got the seventh bowl. So what's next after that? What's happened? What happened? What's after the the twenty one judgments? What's next? Um, Ryan, you could you could take it since I think you're the one that's unmuted. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so it's interesting, right? So you have at the at the sixth bowl, right now you have the drying of the of the Euphrates, right? First you have the angels coming from it at the at the sixth trumpet, but now now we're getting ready for you know the war, right? For the, the gathering of the armies at Armageddon. And I've mentioned this before that I believe Armageddon is really a series of battles that Gary mentioned before the prophecies we see in Ezekiel and of course in Revelation 12 where the remnant is taken into the wilderness to be supernaturally protected by God, the believing remnants. And I believe uh, Jesus even says he's going to preach with it, preach to them and plead with them and try them and teach them. Right. So, so again, a repetition of the Exodus. And I believe I believe that's going to take place in Edom, Basra, while you have an Armageddon, which I believe is where the, the Antichrist gathers his armies 
right? So northwest of Jerusalem, and then heads on a warpath towards Jerusalem, heading south by southeast, while the Lord Jesus Christ is coming north by northwest, meeting at Jerusalem, which I believe was where the final battle takes place. So the driving of the Euphrates is really the time to marshal the armies for this final assault on Jerusalem to war with Jesus. And I believe you see the prophecies again that say, who is this coming from Edom with bloodstained garments? In Revelation 19, it, we already see Jesus coming and it says his, he already has blood on his robes. And I believe because he's battling the enemy forces on the way to clash with the Antichrist at Jerusalem, where he's going to be ultimately judged, I believe, right in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, anything to add, Scott or, or Gary, to that? I'll let Scott go first. Thanks. I'll just say, yeah, I mean, somewhere in there is the uh, the uh, judgment of the great whore. Uh, yes. And I suspect it coincides there. I, I, I do think Mystery Babylon has to do with this this uh, Antichrist alignment of Jerusalem, but him taking that, you know, that throne, so to speak, him setting up the abomination of desolation in the temple and that desecration. So that judgment is going to take place as well. Uh, I think it's all coinciding that that meeting to me in Jerusalem seems to be the 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 uh, where everything's culminating. I, I would agree with Ryan on that. So, yeah, I would say a couple things on this is, is that I would place the uh, place of Armageddon um, closer to Mount Hermon. Uh, and I agree with uh, I got something flashing on my screen here. There we go. Get it away. Uh I would uh, agree with some others who would say that that G, it should be understood in Armageddon as silent. Um, that happened in about the time of Tiberius. So it would be Har as in mountain, Har, ha, uh, Har Madon, which is the word for congregation. And I think the Council of the Gods was located on Mount Hermon. And I, I won't go through all the details, but I think that's where you're going to have it on the slopes of Mount Hermon and then all throughout right into the valleys of Lebanon because of the size of the armies and things like that. And that Jesus is coming not only from Bozrah and Edom, but he is exerting judgment. Either Antichrist is doing it or or Jesus is doing it with also uh, Ammon and Moab and a couple of other countries. But that, it's not always clear to me that could be Antichrist as he's marching back and north that he's going through and doing that destruction as, as described in Daniel 11. So I would, like I said, I would just place it um, more on 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 the plain below Mount, Mount Hermon for 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 uh, Armageddon, and I was thinking about that um, drying up of the Euphrates may be something different than crossing the Euphrates here, because there's a couple there's an event that happens in between. So you could have a drying up because of all of the other destruction and droughts and things that would be going on, but you have this scourge that is in Revelation 12 at the midpoint of the last seven years at the time Judah is going to flee Jerusalem and be protected for three and a half years in the wilderness. You have this scourge that is like a river that the dragon or Satan is going to spew out to try and kill them at that time. And as you take that back 
to uh, verses in, in the book of Isaiah that this overwhelming scourge is going to overwhelm end time Judah at, uh, at that time. This seems to be a breaking of the dams that are in the Euphrates rivers because it seems to have words in Hebrew that link back to the, the, the rivers of the Euphrates that are spilling over that are going to take them by day and night, but God's going to protect them. And I also like the aspect about the connection that Ryan made into second Exodus, because again, in Revelation 12, you have God taking them by the wings of eagles, which is the same words that are used in the first Exodus. And so you get all of those things sort of coming to, to, together from, from that sort of aspect. And then the final thing is, is timing of Babylon seems to be as a destruction uh, of the of the universal religion so antichrist can set up his own religion and his worship just as is also described in in daniel 11 with you know a god that his fathers didn't know and in revelation 17 what's really interesting is is you have the 10 kings are going to hand over their beast their their power for one hour so that they can destroy babylon and that seems to be from that chronology again right after the midpoint uh, of the seven years and then you get um, the mark of the beast showing loyalty to to antichrist only and a whole new religion being set up okay <clears throat> so we're now we're at the seventh bowl which is uh thunder lightning earthquake destroys the cities in the world uh the great city so um so we got the battle of armageddon then we got the seventh bowl um and what would be after that guys what's what's on the timeline is this uh jesus is coming back he'll be back now right is, is that the next thing jesus would be coming back yeah i mean we're we're closing in on revelation 19 yeah yeah pretty so much right we're yeah, pretty revelation much 19 is armageddon so jesus is back at that point and yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody's destroyed right and then you start the millennium yeah exactly and then there's the 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 angel that takes hold of lucifer satan and binds him with the chain for a thousand years yep yep and then after that we have uh satan coming back well that thousand years that we have right there is is uh a lot of pastors say that nobody's going to be able to die you know during that time people are going to be living for a thousand years is that do you guys uh, agree with that or what, what is you guys I think it's more of the length in life lifespans, right? In the book of Isaiah, it talks about that if you, uh, you know, basically if you if you die at a hundred years old, basically you're cursed. So I don't think so. I think people will die. There will know, be death. Yeah, mortal okay. body, uh, physical mortal bodies, but it's going to be like a return to how it was before the flood, where lifespans were much much longer. And I believe, I, and I believe really, uh, the earth itself, right, is going to be. You know, Jesus calls it in the Gospels the regeneration that He's going to recreate. I believe the Earth's going to return to the conditions it was like in the Garden of Eden, and so you have the longer lifespans, you have better vegetation, you have peace with animals and and man again, right? So there are no more predators and things like that. So I think um, that explains why you have the long lifespans. I think because uh, it's a similar, I, I, I believe, a hyperbaric environment. Actually, I believe that the 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 world, you know, of the Garden of Eden was uh, before the flood was a hyperbaric environment, which prolonged lifespans, blocked out UV radiation, all these types of things that can benefit life living. So plus plus there's a newly built temple at that point. We, we could say the fourth yeah. temple if you really want to yeah. technical. 
And Ezekiel describes that as a as a water that comes out from under the altar that flows to the hinder in the former sea and trees grow along the banks that they're going to use for healing of the nations. And I think they'll be eating that fruit for that longevity as well. I think there's going to be a lot of healing going on during that time. Yeah, like like in the Garden of Eden, right? That's yeah, it's exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah, good point. Yeah. I find right. the uh, I find the millennium absolutely fascinating um, in terms of I mean there's not much information but there's a lot of inferences there that I just that get me thinking in a thousand different directions and one of the <laughs> things is that somehow there's going to be survivors yep other than Israel that are going to go into the millennium so there will be survivors that come through those who didn't take the mark obviously and weren't killed so not everybody is killed so they're they're, they weren't they weren't saved from going through the wrath, right? They were part of that whole thing, but some of them are going to survive. And some of them are the Gentiles because you get the descendants of Gog of Magog and Gog at the end of the thousand years that are going to join up with um, Satan when Satan's released again. And I find that absolutely sort of interesting. And then you have those, uh, you know, that uh, were, were slain for taking the mark, they're going to rule with Jesus for a thousand years, right? <clears throat> so that's kind of their their reward for going through, earning their 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 immortality by through fire, right? They, they have to go through the absolute fire to earn that salvation the hard way. As bad as the tribulation is, wrath is way worse, yeah. way worse. And also, you have. Um, and, and just uh, give me a second. I lost my train of thought there just for a second. But you have a scenario where you have something that needs to be also completed, that the book of life was created from before creation. And I think that's part of the period that there will still be that last opportunity to give everybody whose names were written into that book have the opportunity to keep that name there or have it erased just as what we've had through the first 6,000 years. And this is going to be a reign also uh, in comparative to the last 6,000 years. And it's also going to drive home a point to the descendants of Adam is, is that just as the angels, even though they were created immortal and they had intimate knowledge of God, they knew how powerful he was. They still rebelled. Now, humankind, after everything that's happened, right? And mm -hmm. everything that they've seen that happened with the people who had faith in God and Jesus and how they were raised up, you're still going to have a rebellion by some at the end of the millennium. And I think it's part of that last chapter to say, hey, you're going to be like angels, but be careful because you, you have to choose wisely and rebellion takes you to the lake of fire. Uh, whether it's for the second death or for the immortals, but it's and for the Antichrist and, and, and the false prophet. So it's an interesting set of teachings that, that are going on in that in that short um, little uh, chapter that leads into death being destroyed and everything being tossed into the lake of fire. And then you have the resurrection also as part of that is the resurrection of the dead. So, yeah, it's not long, but it's just got so many things wrapped in there. Mm -hmm. that's a really good point gary that's a really good uh observation about the people who because i do believe certainly they're going to be survivors right it says those who are left off from the nations who came up against jerusalem um what's that 
Matthew 25, that exactly. gather all the, the sheep and the goats. Exactly. But the idea that now you have, because you have several classes of beings on the earth in the millennium, right? You have, I believe, the glorified Christians, like the martyrs you mentioned, who now rule and reign. You have the church, who I believe will be in glorified bodies, but then you have the flesh and blood mortal humans, mm-hmm. and you have angels. But there are going to be some humans who, like you said, who've lived through it all. Through the great, through the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, the Wrath, Armageddon, seeing Christ return and, and defeat everyone, lock Satan away, and uh, then live in peace, right? Absent Satan's influence and still rebel. That's a really uh, phenomenal observation, and how it really is like the angels. You know, I, I've never really considered that, but that's a really, really, um, really, really great observation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we have that. Then we have. Uh... After the thousand years, Satan is released, right? And um, which is interesting. And uh, and then we have uh, it talks about the Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, right? Um, that's interesting. Josh, on that point, I might throw this thought out. Um, during the thousand year reign, the Israel is restored as a priesthood people, a priesthood kingdom again, and they'll be in those glorified bodies reigning with Christ. But the um, the nations that get to go into the millennium that are uh, selected uh, in Matthew 25 um, that survived, as we talked about, I think they're going to have to have the opportunity to believe on Christ as as Lord during that time, even with the longevity and everything else. Like like Gary's making this point about the angels. They're like angels in a way. And they're required to keep the Feast of Tabernacles every year. Uh, to go up every year. I believe that final Gog and Magog battle is going to take place during a Feast of Tabernacles because it says they compass the camp of the saints mm. surround. Well, if they're camping, that's tense, right? <laughs> I'm just using modern vernacular. So I, I would say that would be the perfect time for him to attack when the Lord destroys him. You know, fire so, comes down. Yeah, fire, yeah, basically, and God uh, and fire came down from God out of heaven, devoured them. The devil who deceived them cast into the lake of fire brimstone and beast and false prophet are so basically they're thrown into the lake of fire and it says they are tormented day and night forever and ever okay next would be the great white throne judgment right on that that's the next thing um when do you guys believe the uh the bema seat of christ is is that is do you believe that's when you die you just that happens then or or uh between the white the great white throne judgment and the bema seat of christ where would you guys place uh, those two? Are I know that the beam of seat of Christ is for the believers, and then the great white throne judgment is for everyone. So uh, I just had a question on that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. What do you think, Ryan or Gary or Scott, whoever would like to answer that one? That's a good question. I, I kind of have seen the beam of seat as like an individual, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, judgment, you know, not, yeah, it is a judgment, an evaluation, however you want to call it. But that, you know, when you die, you'll stand before God. Obviously, you are saved, but it's just to um, put your works more, in the fire, whatever. Comes your, exactly. gift in heaven. your inheritance, yes. basically, your inheritance, your inheritance right? Heaven. What yeah. you've done for the your crown, exactly. Yes. So, your crown, yeah. your reward, and your sins are thrown in into the lake of fire, Absolutely. so to speak. Yeah. yeah awesome. And if it's not our individual standing before the Lord, which could take place, you know, in, in the rapture right afterwards and, and then before we come back, or it could be when the Lord returns, it says on his head are many crowns, and maybe those are the crowns he's going to be giving. You know, they're his crowns. It's his glory, obviously, but we may wear them to uh, because this is we are his glory. 
Yeah. And maybe we may be reigning with him with those crowns. So it could be the Bema seat is when he uh, comes back to judge the nations. Yeah. You know? Okay. And, yeah, so it's a thought. Awesome. And I also, I also think that there's uh for the, for the dead that rise to be judged um, that I think the book of Romans talks about a possibility that God reserves the right to commit them to the lake of fire for the second death or not. Uh, and he'll judge them by their hearts and the laws within their hearts and how they follow that. And so, I mean, I, I'm not dogmatic on that, but I just looking at what the book of Romans uh, discusses. And I do know our God is so forgiving for that people who didn't know Christ. They, there's there's going to be some sort of, I guess, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, some sort of process that will in, give an opportunity if some people were just th that darn good on faith of doing the right thing, that there might be a reward for that. So, uh, but I leave that up to God. I mean, judgment is for God. And if he does or he doesn't, doesn't matter to me. And I don't tread on the domain of God and he can choose who he wants to uh, give a pardon to or not <laughs> yes awesome grace we have a, a a beautiful wonderful god so and then uh now we have at the end is is all things made new now i saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away uh i thought it was amazing that uh how it says that god is going to come down and reign with man like uh prepared a bride adorned for her husband i thought that was super interesting there's going to be god's throne so there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and God is going to be uh, reigning with us. I thought that I just, I was reading through and I, and I, and honestly, I've read that before and it just kind of, I don't know why, but sometimes when you're reading through the Bible, you just breeze through certain parts and don't understand. But, but uh, as I was studying the, uh, the book of revelation for this podcast, I, I just went through and I read that to my wife, like, and she's like, that almost sounds like a fairy tale. I'm like, babe, this is the, the Bible is just it's 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 amazing that 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 happens at the end and and all the stuff that we have to go through through humanity and all the stuff that God has gone through with us, we end up uh, being able to to reign with God. I thought it was this beautiful ending to to our beginning, not ending, for us. It's just it's amazing, and um, I, I suggest I really suggest honestly, guys, everybody that's listened to this podcast, I suggest that you. You read the book of Revelation. Listen to what these gentlemen are, are teaching you, and uh, and and you know, and and also, there's different perspectives and everything out there. And I I suggest you guys study those as well because and and pray to God for discernment because there's there's different perceptions and and of this you know, and man's gonna have different perceptions. Obviously, like Ryan and and Gary and Scott are pretty much on the same page, but you know they disagree here and there. But <clears throat> what it is is. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, thing that God does for us in this in, in the book of Revelation. It sounds crazy and it's horrific and hard, but it's just beautiful how it ends up. But I suggest, uh, do you guys want to add anything to the end of Revelation at all? I don't want to take it up too much, but. Oh, we don't want to do that. If we add to that book, we might <laughs> no. have problems with that. No, no, no. Not add <laughs> we to won't the book. be adding. We want the blessing. We don't yes, want yes, the curse. Yes. <laughs> I just, I just think it's a sad thing that what comes to my mind when I think about the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and I see the description of that city, and I see the beauty of the golden streets and the, the foundations of the jewels, and what 
what my mind goes to being born on the bayou is those gates made out of pearl. I want to see that oyster. <laughs> That's a big oyster. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So we got that. Um, and then I, 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 I'd make a couple of points just on, on, on that, just that we don't know when it says heavens, is it sort of understood as the Greek term as the whole cosmos, or is it the Hebrew term that that's what they're substituting in Greek for, for that meaning? Heavens in, in the Hebrew is, there's three heavens. There's the firmament that includes the sun and everything inwards. There's the balance of the physical universe after that. And then there's a heaven in heaven. Um, so we don't know which one of those three heavens that that's going to be. Could be two of the heavens. I don't think it's all three of the heavens, but we're not real sure. Uh, and then the other thing is, is we're not told anything about what happens leading into eternity going forward. And that's part of the faith that you have to have and be rock solid on that. It's all going to be good. And we're going to be raining, but we don't know over what, where, or anything. And it's all part of the whole faith thing that the Bible preaches from the time of Abraham right through to the end of Revelation. And Ryan, you want to add to that? Not to the book, just to the... To the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's great. It's beautiful. You know, I, I, I love the fact that, you know, you read Revelation 21-1, right? It's it's like Genesis 1-1 all over again. A new heaven, new earth, right? God, and, and I love that it just shows the beauty of the Bible, the, the consistency through you know, 1500 years of writing, right? You know, severing <clears throat> Genesis from Revelation, but also that just God's plan of, that God loves us so much, you know, that's really, you know, the main takeaway, you know, when Revelation ends, you know, God, Jesus is pleading anyone, you know, whoever's the thirst, come, the spirit is bidding you come, come, enjoy this. I want, you know, Jesus wants everyone, right? When he tells them in the gospels, go, go, go out into the highways and the byways and compel people to come to the wedding. And that's the thing. And I, and I, I, I just love it. I just love the fact. And, and I think Gary made a great point that you have to have that great faith in the future. I'm excited. I'm glad that we don't know. I, I'm actually on the side where I, I'm glad that we don't know what's going to happen in the eternal kingdom. I, I want some yeah. surprises because I'm uh, I want to discover about as what are we going to be doing? What are we ruling over? Right. We don't know. So, um, but I'm excited for it. And I just think that, you know, the most important thing is that Jesus is says, you know, he closes very personally by saying, I'm writing this like to you to Amen. invite you. And so uh, I hope that people see that it's a beautiful, beautiful story and that we know the end, at least up until that we know the evil is going to lose and that they can trust in God's promises and uh, his invitation and receive it. For sure. Jason, uh, any last words, Jason, before you go? I know you got to work tomorrow. So. No, nah, man, I'm good. I, know I, got, like, I got like 10 minutes, bro. I was like, I'm, just, I'm trying to get some, <laughs> some, get some, some shut eye. I can't stay awake right now, bro. Cause yeah. uh, it's all good. It's all good. Hey, I did a 16 hour uh, night last night too. So, and uh, Scott, <laughs> thank you. I know you have to work too, and I appreciate it. And, and uh, everybody that's listening, I just want to say, well, first off, I want to say thank you to Gary. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Jason. Uh, I really appreciate everybody, you know, to, to have, um, <clears throat> you know, when I first started this podcast to have Gary Wayne and then Scott and Ryan on it, it just, it, it just blows my mind. You know, I used to watch uh, Gary back in the day, you know, and on the fourth watch and listen and just 
to, to have you guys on is amazing. You know, God is great. I, I thank the Lord for this, you know, and I appreciate this opportunity and I appreciate you guys all showing up and, and, um, you know, and, and coming and, and, and sharing, uh, all this research that you guys have done, you know, there's deep, deep research that goes into this. Um, I've only been doing this podcasting for about like a year and a half and it's, there's so much research going into each episode. I can imagine all the the books that you guys are writing and all the time and effort you put in. So I appreciate you guys taking the time out and for this, for our audience, you know, and um, thank you. Um, everybody that's listening, I just want to say, you know, the Bible is, is, is just right now is the time guys just to, just to pick up the Bible. I know that conspiracies are awesome and it's amazing. You know, the world economic forum, the secret societies and all this stuff, you know, like you can get into the Genesis six conspiracy, get into all that, but the, just read the Bible, you know, just start out with the Bible so that you can get the, you know, your foundation is solid, you know, because when all the, the reason why people are so deceived at the end times is because they're not rightly dividing the word or they're not even reading the Bible. They're taking, you know, they're, they're letting um, Satan uh, fulfill their whole day uh, with, with not giving time to God, you know, and uh, we need to, to give God your time and we need to spend time with the Lord. I, if, whether you have to wake up uh, an hour earlier or stay up an hour later, what do you, whatever you have to do? Uh, I just suggest that, you know, I just, I pray, you know, in Jesus's name that, that people just, just go, you know, read the Bible start a relationship with the Lord. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. I just want to say that, you know, I think it's vastly important. Everything we went over, you guys understand that they're deceived because they, they, they didn't get into the word and have that relationship with God. They, 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 they were married to the world and not married to God. So um, we'll end this in prayer, you know, and um, I will end this in prayer. And this is a mighty, mighty episode. I really loved it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys. But father God, in the name of Jesus, uh, once again, I just want to thank you for giving us a clear connection. Um, um, and I appreciate everything you do for us, Lord. I just pray for everybody that's listening right now. Please let them not have to wait to go through all these, uh, you know, the, the 21 judgments or anything like that. Don't, they don't need to wait for that. The time is now, you know, to just get into the, the Lord. You know, we don't know if the rapture is pre, mid. Uh, you know, we have no idea, you know, what we're going to have to go through, but it's better to be prepared. You know, uh, the government, we know, Lord, could come in and take the Bibles away. You know, we're, we're so worried about them taking the guns away, Lord, but they could take the Bibles away. What are we going to do when we're going up against these principalities of evil, Lord, and we don't have the Bible memorized, you know? So I just want to say, God, please, everybody that's listening right now, please, Lord, just, uh, you know, do a supernatural uh, invitation to them to just start reading the Bible and have a relationship with you, Lord. We appreciate everything you do for us, and we love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, guys, thank you. If you guys could, please subscribe. Uh, check out Ryan Peterson. Uh, check out Judgment of the Nephilim on YouTube, and you guys could subscribe to that. Scott Mitchell is Bible Mysteries. Uh, if you guys could, please subscribe to his YouTube and also uh, listen to him on Spotify, Apple, or all app uh, distributors. Gary Wayne. You guys know that he's on all these shows, crushing it and doing great things. And, uh, you know, when his new book comes out and also uh, these books, please, guys, these guys are doing this for free. I'm not paying them a dime and I don't make a dime off of doing this either. So uh, if you guys could just support them, we got Genesis 6 Conspiracy from Gary Wayne. We have uh, uh, the, the final Nephilim from Ryan Peterson and also Judgment of the Nephilim. Please, guys support them they're just here sharing the knowledge for free guys and that's amazing so in any way if you guys could support them i'd really appreciate it thank you guys for listening we love all of you guys and we appreciate you